This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I guess I should start by saying, can you hear me? Okay. I should start by saying good morning. Not just because it's in the AM, but really because it is a day, indeed a day of mourning. Morning with a you, without a you. Good morning, so even in the afternoon, maybe we should say good morning. I think there might be possibly some people, certainly people I've met in the past, that wish there was a special button. And the button has two arrows on it and it's moving in the right hand direction. And if you could press that button, it would fast forward from today until around Chatzais, 1 p.m. on the 10th of Av. I think there are some people that might think, do you know what? If we could just hit this fast forward button and somehow do the whole drive Ochen, the whole three weeks in a split second, then maybe things will be a little bit easier. We could relax. It will be a bit more comfortable. We wouldn't have so many restrictions. We wouldn't have to give up listening to music. We wouldn't feel so uncomfortable. Especially in the nine days. Truth is, if we really believe there's nothing here which is inevitable. The gula can come any time. And perhaps that's the most important thing to start with. Is that this Tishabov absolutely could be a Yantuf. And to be real with that, it doesn't have to be three weeks of Avelus. But until that happens, there's something very important and there's something very powerful that we can achieve over this very special period of time. People say that a human being can deal with any what if they have a good enough why. Put very simply, the more we understand why we do what we do, then what we do becomes meaningful. I can't say it will always be enjoyable because there's elements of the Avelus of the three weeks and the nine days that are not enjoyable. But it certainly become, can become meaningful and powerful. Often in life, we like to numb ourselves. We don't feel, we desensitize ourselves. We don't want to get into an emotional place. We don't want to be vulnerable. But these three weeks are meant to be an emotional experience and let me explain to you why. I hope, I hope that no one here has to be familiar with Hilchas Avelus for many, 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 many years to come. But there's a Mahalach. 
And we know there's a Mahalach. And the Mahalach that the Torah Kedoshah and the Chazal established of Avelus, for Avelus, is one that is tried and tested. It's incredibly therapeutic. And people that have lost, people that have lost a loved one, find this framework of Avelus incredibly powerful and useful. And that's true, by the way, even for people they don't have the schus to be shown with Torah or mitzvahs, medaktikim uh, mitzvahs, as perhaps one should or as one should. They still, when it comes to the shiva and the shleishin, they do it properly because they understand. The Yiddishkeit gives a framework for Avilus. So let's look at that framework for a minute and realize something fascinating. There's a period of time after the Ptira, which is the most intense period of our veil, it's called Aninus. It's so intense that a person who's in Aninus is potter from all the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs I say. A man's not allowed to thrill him. You don't make brachas on food. You're not allowed to drink wine, eat meat. It's a very intense form, but you're part of mitzvahs. No davening. Who'd have thought it? Because the grief is so intense. There's a different avoider then. After the kvura, you have the first day of Avelis, which according to all shittas is minatayra. The oval is not allowed to wear tefillin. The male oval is not allowed to wear tefillin on your mission. It's inappropriate. Tefillin are glorious. It's not a day for glory. You have the first three days of Shiva, which are days of crying. The next three days of Shiva are days of Nechama, but you're at home. People are coming to you. And it's very intense, and the oval sits low. Seventh day of the Shiva. Stand up, get up. And many of the restrictions of the Shiva are lifted. The Havel can go back to work. Can learn Torah again. Not even allowed to learn Torah. Torah is Masameach Esalev. That just tells us, by the way, something very special about the Torah Akadosha. That you're not allowed to learn it on Tishabal. That you're not allowed to learn it in Avelos because it's Masameach. After the shiva, the oval can learn again, can go to work again. But there are many different restrictions on laundry and washing and whatever else for the first month. And then for a parent, it carries on with lighter restrictions, but restrictions nonetheless of not going to simchas and chasnas and suddhas or whatever else for the coming 11 months to 12 months a year. But what you see from this model is very, very clear. It starts with the most intense, which is Aninus, and it gradually gets less and less and less intense as the other comes to terms with their grief. Now let's look at how the halachas work for the period of time that we're in now. We now have the three weeks where there are restrictions on 
music and dancing, where there are restrictions on haircuts, there are restrictions on certain types of clothing one can buy, relatively light restrictions. Comes to the nine days, no laundering, no freshly laundered clothes, no meat, no wine. The week of Tishabav. Even more intense. Even more restrictions. Erev Tishabav. Not even meant to go for a pleasure stroll. Just can't go out for a walk just for enjoyment. It keeps going in increasing, increasing, increasing intensity. Till Tishabav by night, we're all sitting on the floor, sitting shiva and being misabbed on the Chorban. We then pick ourselves up by Chatzais and slowly, slowly transition back till the next Chatzais of Yud Av. But what you see from here is something very, very, very foundational. Chazal understood that when a person, Loyalena, loses a loved one, they feel the grief. The grief is real, and therefore they need to know how to express it and then get back slowly, slowly, slowly to a place of Nechama, to a place of normality. But when it comes to the Khurban, we don't build down, we have to build up. Because Chazal understood that we don't understand what we're missing. And therefore we build up and we build up and we build up stage by stage. The three weeks, the nine days, the Shrusha Chaboy, the Erev Tishabah, the We're building up in intensity, we're not building down. Precisely because we're meant to sensitize ourselves to that which we have lost. But here's the thing. And this is very important. For many, many people, the three weeks and the nine days are just about the restrictions. It's just about what I can normally do that I now can't do during this period of time. And that's what it is, and that's where it begins, and that's where it ends. So maybe I could be as bold as to say, and to call this a crying shame, as we'd say in English. It is a crying shame if all we take for the next three weeks is what we cannot do. If it's just three weeks of additional restrictions, it's such a wasted opportunity. Because instead of being just what we can't do, look what we can do. We can sensitize ourselves to something huge. And there is nothing more special than being a person who is sensitized to something important. So there are three weeks of sensitizing ourselves to that which we have lost. It is not possible in one day, it is not possible in one hour to fathom the greatness of what we have lost. And therefore, in ever-increasing intensity, the penny is meant to drop a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Until we fully start to begin to comprehend what we're missing. So that's the point. The crying shame of the three weeks is if it's just a set of restrictions, of ever-increasing restrictions. The challenge, the opportunity is the ability to sensitize ourselves, ourselves to something that we just don't normally have in our lives.
Let me explain a little bit more. Make it relevant to today. What is Yerushalayim? And why is the fact that the walls were breached so significant and so important? I'll just put out, I'll just mention in parentheses, Lasid Lavoy, when Mashiach comes, Yerushalayim is not going to have any walls anyway. So Posak and Zechariah, parents, based Posak has, Prosecution of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim will be, it'll be so big, says the Malvin. Too much going on there. You can't contain it within walls. It won't need walls. Which is fascinating. So what's the significance? So it goes a little bit like this. And this perhaps cuts to the essence of what Eretz Yisrael is, what Yerushalayim is, what we've lost, and Amir Tzashem, what we'll gain. Because remember this. Chazal tell us, Anyone who mourns Yerushalayim will merit the rebuilding of the Simcha of Yerushalayim. Simcha is Yerushalayim, the Gilubah. Imagine. Imagine you've got a person and someone comes up to him. He says, ah, Yankala, Yankala, I'm so happy, so happy to see you. Why, why are you so happy to see me? I've got it for you. What have you got for me? And he hands him a 10p piece. I found it, I've got it. Do you remember you were in my house five years ago and you were sitting on the couch and you, uh, you lost some change and I found the 10p from five years ago. Put it in Stocker. He doesn't care about what he lost. And if he doesn't care that he got it back. The same Yankala, Ayvei, Rahman al he lost his phone for five minutes. Oismench! Ah, looking everywhere. Where is it? Retracing his steps. This shot, that shot, this base marriage, this ah. Suddenly his friend says, Ah, yeah, you left it, uh, you left it on the, the shopping trunk. Ah, he's a friend for life. It's not something mystical. If you care about what you lost, it's going to mean so much more to you when you get it back. If you couldn't care less about what you got, you got it back. No, no. No, no. Isn't that chat? The idea of sensitizing ourselves to something so that when we get it back, we're going to be jumping for joy. I once asked a group of uh, young women, similar age and stage to you, why do you want Mashiach? Very interesting, uh, interesting answers, not all of which I would necessarily, necessarily agree with. Eh, so we won't have to do school exams, we won't have school anymore. <laughs> I guess they didn't understand that the Rambam explains the purpose of Yomaisa Mashiach is that the Gashmias will come easy. So we'll be able to sit and learn all day. The Isaac Bechachim. Unbelievable. We'll be free from all the Radifas, free from all the Pogroms. So we'll be able to sit and learn and steig and grow. But recognizing what we've lost, appreciating what we've lost, 
will mean that the simcha of getting it back is going to be so much bigger. So what taka have we lost? Let's go back to the very, very, very beginning. Not the very beginning, but, but uh, you know, close to Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu gets the call one day. Vayayim Hashem al-Avram. Hashem says to Avraham Avinu, Get up! Go! It's time to leave. Lech Lecha. Go for your own benefit. Go to yourself. Go for yourself. Where does he tell him to go to? Where does he tell him to go? Hmm. I can't even hear it. I can't go on. It's very important. He doesn't tell him where to go. Doesn't tell him where to go. He doesn't give him a map. He doesn't give him GPS coordinates. Avraham Avinu can't put it into his tum-tum. On the donkey. Where did he tell him? Going to Going to the land that I will show you, says the Svarna. Look it up. It's unbelievable. Avraham Avinu travels and travels and travels. Keeps on going. Until he reaches it. How does he know he's arrived? Because that's why Kodesh Baruch Hu appears to him. The definition, the dictionary definition in the Torah of Eretz Yisrael is Ha'aretz HaSheareka, the land where I will appear to you. That's where I'll see you there. It's a land where you can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why the Sforno touches the Pasuk. Ha'aretz HaSheareka. This is where it gets really interesting. What is the name of the capital of Ha'aretz Asher Areka? Well, it has two names from two different people. Malchitzedek Melech Shalem, who we know from Chazal is Shem, Shem ben Noyach. What does he call it? He calls it Shalem. Malchitzedek Melech Shalem. Avram Avinu, on the other hand, calls it Yireh. And now Kodesh Baruch Hu has a problem. I have two tzaddikim. And they've given two different names to the same place. One's called it Shalem, one's called it Yireh. Kodesh Baruch Hu says, I don't want to reject either of them. So what will I do? I'll take these two words, I'll put it together in English or French. You've got it, a portmanteau. You take two words, good one. Right, you take two words, you put it together. Yireh Shalem, Yerushalayim. So the capital of Ha'aretz Asher Areka is Yerushalayim. Isn't that interesting? The capital of the city, of the, of the country, which is all about perceiving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It was all about HaKadosh Baruch Hu appearing to us, Avraham Avinu, is a Re'iya which is Shalim. That's Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. What does that mean? It's interesting, just by the way, person comes to the Beis HaMikdash three times a year, the Sholosh Regalim. What does the Pasuk say? Yireh kol zechorcha. Again, the same Lashon of Re'iyah. 
Everyone said, The carbon that you bring is called an oilas re'ia. Because you're seeing and you're being seen. Oh, by the way, a blind person doesn't have to be oiler ego. Because it's lirais vilirais. See and be seen. Discussion whether a person who's blind in one eye can go do oiler ego because he hasn't got a Yerushalayim. So suddenly we're starting to develop a picture of what Yerushalayim is this ability to see something. What do you see? What do you see with your Yerushalayim that is Yerushalayim? And therefore, what are we missing when we haven't got it? So there's a Taisus. A Taisus in Masechus Baba Basra. And it's very important Taisus on a very important Gemara. And this Gemara was talking about the invention of schools. The Gemara says, Zohar la Taiv, a Taiv Reb Yeshua ben Gamla who established a school system when he saw that the, the Bachrim weren't learning because they didn't have fathers that could teach them for whatever reason, he establishes an education system in Eretz Yisrael. Gemara talks about how he did it. Fascinating. But he starts off his education system. This is the first time we had schools or yeshivas in Kalal Yisrael. Till then it was very much Rebbe to Talmud, father to son. Having an education system starts off in none other than Yerushalayim. How does Rabbi Yeshua ben Gamla know to start off his school system in Yerushalayim, Irakai? She's got a pasuk. What's the pasuk? Think Simchas Torah. Ki and Yerushalayim. So Gemara says he learned it from a pasuk. The epicenter of Torah of Talmud Torah comes from Yerushalayim. Ki mitzi and Yerushalayim. On that Gemara, says Taisus, something unbelievable. What does this mean, says Taisus? You would go to the Beis HaMikdash, and it would be a transformational experience for any onlooker. You'd see, You would see, in other words, focused Avodas Hashem, no one came out of the Beis HaMikdash the same way they went in. It was transformational to go in there. Because you would see something that you couldn't see anywhere else. You would see people fulfilling the rots in Hashem. You'd see focused Avedas Hashem. You would see something you can't see anywhere else. And guess what? The Beis HaMikdash is a place of Nisim, Asara Nisim. In Pirish and Pirkei Avos. You would see things there you can't see anywhere else. You would experience things you can't experience anywhere else. If we want to put this very, very simply, Yira Shalim is the ability to see Ruchnius. That's what Yerushalayim is all about. That's what Atosis means. You'd be able to see a Ruchnius Dika experience that would transform you. You'd be able to feel Hashra Sashchina. You'd be able to literally perceive HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in his house. And suddenly we start to understand, of course, that's why the capital city of Haaretz HaSha'areka is Yushalayim, and the epicenter of the Yushalayim is, of course, the Beis Amikdash. Just by the way. And here's where it gets even more interesting. The Torah itself 
forces every Yid to spend a significant amount of time every year in Yerushalayim because of the experience of it. How so? First, he's Sholosh But more than that, you're a farmer. And we know you're a farmer, you have to give truma and Masa from your crops. So the truma, which is, depends on how generous you want to be, a 40th, a 50th, a 60th, depending on generous, that goes to the Koyan. The Maisa goes to the Levi. And then there's another Maisa which you need to give. And it depends what year of the cycle it is. In years three and six it goes to the Aniyam, but the other years it's called Maisa Shani. It's the second tithe, it's the second type of Maisa. And you have to give, you have to do something with it. Does anyone know who eats Maisa Shani? Anyone have a clue? What? Anyone know? No, not the Kayan. You eat it yourself. So then what's the point of giving mice if you have to eat it yourself? And the answer is, because you can't eat it anywhere, you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. That means close to 10% of your produce, of your food, you have to eat in Yerushalayim. Explains of Shimshon of Farahesh. Something amazing. The Torah is essentially forcing every single Jew to spend time in Yerushalayim. Why? It wants every youth who's a farmer the rest of the time to spend significant time in Yerushalayim soaking up the atmosphere that is there. Whether it's the Tahashras, Ashkhin, and the Besam Mikdash, whether it's the Torah that's being learned, and the Gemara talks about the numbers of Botim Medrash, the fantastic number of Botim Medrash they had in Yerushalayim. Every single yid is meant to spend time. It doesn't matter where you live. The north, the south, the east, the west. You live in your village, your town, wherever. You've got to come to Yerushalayim. The Torah forces you to the extent that a certain proportion of your food can only ever be eaten in Yerushalayim itself. Isn't that amazing? Every yid is meant to have this experience of seeing Ruchnius. Of seeing that which you normally can't see. If so, then we understand why Yerushalayim Irakaydash has to be defi- has to be surrounded by a wall. In fact, the Mishnah in Kalim, when talking about where you can eat Karbanas, where you can eat Maasasheni, doesn't even mention Yerushalayim by name. It just says Lifnim Min within the walls. Within the walls, you have certain privileges of what you're allowed to do there or eat there. Certain levels of Hanhaga, of Kedusha. Because we understand that anything that is special needs to be protected. Though a Re'iyah, which is Shalim, needs to be protected, of course. It needs to be protected from outside influences. It needs to be protected from invaders, from marauders, from bandits. It needs to be protected from physical threats and from spiritual threats. Of course, Yerushalayim has to have a wall around it. Mukaf Chayma. Walls protect and defend us. So suddenly, you can start to understand the tragedy and the travesty of the walls going down. It wasn't just there was a crack in the wall one day on Shivas Batamas. There's a massive breach in these incredibly thick fortified walls 
where chariots used to race along the walls. They were so thick and so hard. The Romans were using the best modern technology, the best engineering techniques they had at the time to throw projectiles or missiles and very basic bombs at the walls of Yushalayim. We have them today. They found them in archaeological digs. The various different missiles, rocks, thousands and tens of thousands of rocks being flung at the walls and over the walls. You weren't safe. And eventually, they're using these massive battering rams. And eventually, the walls are going to break. And at that point, the Roman soldiers pour in. And for the next three weeks, there's absolute bloodshed and carnage and complete death and destruction. But it's not just the physical massacre of so many of our people that took place Bishas HaKhurban. You understand, they're holding out on Har Habayis, they're holding out in the Beis Amikdash until the last day. It's not just about that. It's about the fact that everything that Yerushalayim represents gets taken away. The truth is, to be fair and to be honest, the Gemara says when Titus Harasha destroys the Beis Amikdash, he's incredibly proud of himself. To the point where he slashes the Paraychas and it bleeds and he thinks to himself that it's long to even say the words. He's killed HaKadosh Baruch I've defeated the Jews and I've killed their God. HaKadosh Baruch punishes him in a fascinating way. Not for now. With a little gnat that goes through his... He thinks it's all over. HaKadosh Baruch says to him, Nah. You don't understand, Titus. You did nothing. You burned a burnt house. You destroyed a destroyed house. You ground ground flour. It's the marshal. Meaning he didn't destroy the Beis Amikdash. We did. If the Beis Amikdash is a place of Hashas Ashkena, and we, through our actions, push the Shechina away, then of course all it is is just a piece of business to build it. You've got a battering ram that's big enough and strong enough. If you've got enough firepower, you can knock down any building unless it's protected by Ashar Sashkin. So it was incredibly vulnerable. It was incredibly susceptible. It wasn't, and this is really, 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 really important. We don't spend Tishabov organizing protests outside the Italian embassy because of what the Romans did to us 2,000 years ago. There are other nations that might want to do that. Have a day of rage, have a demonstration. Look what the Romans did to us. It's not that, it's not there. They should restore it. It's an outrage. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I never spent tissue while protesting outside the Italian embassy. I don't think anyone else did either. Why not? They destroyed our base on Migdash. It's like the, the, the story they tell about Napoleon, which I uh, loved after that it's a historically documented story, but it's an important uh, marshal at the very least. When Napoleon is marching through Europe and it's one night and you see he hears crying coming from a little building and he walks he walks past and he walks in. The great Napoleon that conquers so much of Europe. And he sees a small group of Yidin sitting on the floor with little candles crying in this little stone shawl. 
says, what's going on? What happened? And they uh, wipe away the tears and say, our temple was destroyed. We were sent into exile. So Napoleon says, well, tell me who did it. I'll sort it out for you. I'll sort it out. I'm Napoleon. So now you don't understand. It was close to 2,000 years ago. Story goes, he said, the nation that is able to cry over something that happened so long ago, I have no doubt that you'll have that which you are missing will be restored to you. But the point is, it's not about sorting out the Romans. They're not even here anymore anyway. Because we understand it wasn't about them, it was about us. Ba'is Chorav Charavta, Ba'is Sorav Sarafta means the place of Mikdush is meant to be this place of Yir Shalem. A place where you can see Rechni, it's a place where you can see the Ashras Ashchina. We pushed it out. We emptied it out. If we emptied it out, only we can get it back. That's the point. Only we can bring it back. So it's interesting, is it not? That if the Beis Hamikdash is a Lashen of Gaula, and just by the way, just by the way, isn't it interesting? All of them we daven for um, for Yerushalayim in our davening. Vil Yerushalayim irchabrach mintashen. What does that mean? Who are we asking to come back to Yerushalayim? Hashem. Hashem, you come back to Yerushalayim. B'sishkoim b'seicha kasha dibarta. But it's the only time we say kasha dibarta in the Shemayin Esrei. Figure out which pasuk it's talking about. We're asking for Hashem to come home. Dwell in it as you said you would. But more than that. And let our eyes see you coming home to Yerushalayim. Again, it's the eyes. Geula is always a lotion of Re'iyah as well. Golas is always a lotion of Bechiyah. What happens when you cry? Your eyes are full of tears and you can't see. How do you say, how do you, what's cry? The word for crying in Lashon HaKadosh is Bechi. Bechi is a Lashon of Mavucha. Mavuchim heim, they confuse you, you can't see. Rachel Mavakal Banea. Rachel Mavakal is crying for a kinderlech. HaKadosh Baruch says, Minikalech mi Bechi. Stop crying. Ve'enayich mi Dima. Dima is a lotion, Madume is a lotion of uncertainty. Confu- crying is confusion and uncertainty. Geula is re'iyah, is seeing. Isn't it fascinating? Every time we talk about it, Urei v'tuv Yerushalayim. V'sechazena e'neinu b'shuvachalatziyam brachamim. V'eneinu sirena malchusecha. Ki ayin ba'ayin yiru b'shuvashem tziyam. Pasuk after pasuk after pasuk. It says Geula is to do with re'iyah. And Golis is to do with Bechi. But Malkeinu, we said, I want to see. Because that's the point. We're trying to resensitize ourselves to something. To living with a Kaddish Baruch. Problem is, the problem is for us. We've got used to this Golis. By and large, it's not too bad at the moment. We get comfortable with it. And we think it's okay. 
I'm thinking it's okay. I have a family, I've got my home, I've got food, I've got school, I've got friends. I've got a good life. Who could ask for more? And on a certain level, of course, it's a wonderful thing to be happy with what you have. But maybe this is the most important thing. To be a yid. To be a yid. To be a yid who cares is to say the world as it is right now is just unacceptable. A world of godless is just, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not okay with, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with a world where the truth, where the emits of a Kaddish Baruch whose existence is so obscured to so many people. I'm not okay in a world where there's bloodshed, where there's war. I'm not okay in a world where there's kfira. I'm not okay in a world where there's a lack of sneers and boundaries. I'm not okay with such a world. It makes me distinctly uncomfortable. Golas is not normal. To be a yid is to say that Golas is not normal. Golas is not okay. The morale says Golas is a temporary thing. Gula is the real state of being. So maybe, maybe, the purpose of the Tainas today, the Rambam tells us, is to do tshuva. It's to look inside ourselves, to figure out how to bring the Shechina back. And the purpose of the discomfort that we're putting ourselves in over the next three weeks, and sometimes it's not comfortable, and it's not even comfortable today, hot day at Tanis, is to realize we're not comfortable with the way the world is right now. We want a world of Ri'ya, we want a world of Gula, where people can see Ruchnias, where people can see the Ennis. And that's why, and just to finish with this, then of course, lasted love of Yushalayim won't need to have a wall anymore. That's what Zachariah means in the Pasuk. Yushalayim won't need a wall. Because we'll be safe, Baruchnius and Begashmius, everyone will see the Emma. So, Malaharetz Deir Hashem. This can so happen. If we're Misabal Al Yushalayim, if we're unwilling to accept Godless as a reality that is inevitable, if we want to live with the Geula and realize Achakila Bechal Yom Shiyavai, this can happen. If we're Misabal Al Yushalayim, Mitz Hashem, each and every one of us should be Zaycha, Veraya. Besimchas Yisraelim bin Hera Yomenu and a Kodesh Baruch Hu should hear our Tfilas. He should hear our Taanesim, and it should be a meaningful experience rather than a painful one. Chas v'shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.